The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. All right, so um, this breakout's called Redefining Ministry Success, um, and it's because I read this book, uh, Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. Uh, and this is by Kent Hughes. Really encouraging book. Is written in the, I believe he wrote it in the 80s or maybe the 90s, um, when he was kind of coming on the backside of difficult time in ministry. But really encourage you to read this, Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. It has the word syndrome in the title. Are you kidding me? Um, really good book. But uh, for me personally, part of that resonated with me was, um, you know, just being able to see in myself the, the danger of adopting worldly um, measurements for success in my own life. Like not that necessarily anybody else has laid that on me, but how I would begin to view, um, man, how I'm doing in ministry, how, how good was the sermon, how, how's discipleship going and, and all these things that I think for any of us, if we're not careful, really across the board in life that will adopt worldly practices, worldly philosophies, worldly ways of thinking, um, and, and we'll see scripture and ministry through that lens instead of the other way around, right? And we, we see it with students a lot. You know, we can see it in other people's lives. We can see when students are doing that and how they view relationships or how they view athletics and they begin to get priorities out of whack. And sometimes it's easier to see in other people than it is in ourselves. Um, and so it's good for me because I think you know, for me personally, it's easy to um, view my success, you know, to use that word, um, through the lens of human approval. Like, you know, do, do, my, do my bosses validate the work that I'm doing? Do, do I get that verbal affirmation? Um, you know, and that's not always a bad thing. It's, it's good to be encouraged. It's nice to know that, you know, people do appreciate the work. And things that you said made sense. That's always nice. Um, but is that what motivates me? And is that how I view whether or not I'm doing good? And is that ultimately what I'm working towards? Um, there was a time when I was uh, a student pastor for a few years in Virginia. Um, I, was a, I was young and single and I was just out of college. And... Um, started working at this church and, and loved it. And I loved it. It was really the first church I was a part of. When I first went there, I was like, hey, do y'all need any volunteer help with the youth? And that quickly turned into, here's the youth group. And, and uh, it was great. In a lot of ways, I learned a lot. But um, it was really, I say I was a student pastor. Really, I, I, was, a, I was paid like an intern, um, but I was working as a, as a student pastor and a lot of y'all know that if you're bivocational or you, you're, you volunteer, you know that doesn't mean the hours and the responsibilities change. Um, and the pastor called me into his office and he said, you know, we'd love to offer you a full-time position. 
but the right now the the size of the youth group doesn't justify that, and I think we're you know around forty students and um and he said this to me he said he said there are there are youth going to churches, and he started naming churches in about a ten minute drive from our church. He said there's students going to churches, and he started naming those churches. He said they should be coming here, and they will come here if our youth group is and he started saying things like more exciting have more, you know, programs going on, you know, the more trips. Uh, he's like, and he said, I know you don't have a big dynamic personality, but I think you can, you can supplement that with the way that you start services. And he started saying all these things. And he said, now, because if you start getting those students to come to our youth group, their parents eventually will come to church. And if their parents come to church, the parents will tithe. And, and, and he was saying these things right out of his mouth. And, and I was just kind of in shock and he got done and, and, and I just said, I, I'll never view ministry like that. And, I, and I'm thankful because I had worked summers here and I'd been exposed to, uh, you know, I've been discipled in this ministry. And so a lot of the things that still hold fast to were kind of already in place. And, you know, but I look back at that and it was easy for me to push back against that and say, no, we're not on the same page. And then it turned out we were not on the same page with a lot of things. Um, but, but I think, you know, I was... I was in my early twenties. I wasn't married. I didn't have any kids. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have, you know, all the things that I have now where I think there would have been a tent. I can be looking back now. I can be more empathetic towards people who are in that situation of life, like that stage of life. And then to have that laid on you, I mean, it'd be more difficult, right? I guess it would be easier to begin to see things through that lens and so I think it's good for us to have these moments where we push back against that, evaluate, okay, what's motivating me? How am I judging myself in ministry? What standard am I holding myself up to? So I think it's good to be able to push back. And what was so encouraging about the book I recommended was, I man, it just got back to true biblical standards of how we should judge ourselves. So, um, again, not, not the approval of man, not numbers, right? That we don't judge success based on numbers with the caveat that, yeah, I mean, numbers can represent eternal souls and that's good. We want to impact people's lives, but just looking at a spreadsheet with how many people have come over a given year and how, you know, how, what does the growth look like since I came into this ministry? That kind of thing is, is not healthy. Um, obviously money I should say obviously, but you know, and we'll get there in a second in first Timothy, but um, the money shouldn't be the, a motivating factor or how we judge our success, not, not having more programs, not even necessarily having more decisions. Um, having these motivations or lenses that we would look at our success through can lead to how we promote and how we shape the message and ministry that the Lord's called us to. Um, so how does scripture how does scripture define success? How, how does the Bible talk about this? First passage I want to look at is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 and 2. And Paul is addressing in the church their uh, kind of wrong view of church leadership and how they're picking sides between, you know, Paul and Peter and Apollos, the potential writer of Hebrews. Um, and uh, he says this, this is how one should regard us. He's like, all right, if y'all are going to judge us in ministry, this is how you should regard us. As servants of Christ and stewards of the ministry or the mysteries of God, moreover, 
it is required of stewards that they be found what? Faithful. So he's being compared to these other guys in ministry. And, and I think what's so refreshing and what's so good and what we need to renew our minds to. I mean, if there was ever a joker in the history of the church who could have pointed to production, right? It's Paul. If you could have said, yeah, moreover, <laughs> you know, if you're going to judge me, you're going to compare me to other guys. Who's planted more churches? Who has more disciples? Who has written more New Testament letters? That's what I thought. He didn't go there, right? What does he say? Man, faithfulness. Faithfulness to God, faithfulness to God's message, faithfulness to his call, right? What is it, and that what this boils down to and what we're going to see is, man, what he's talking about is character. So whether you're a pastor, Sunday school leader, small group, discussion organizer, facilitator, like, now what matters is our character. Because what's, what's going to become evident as we look at these passages is that ultimately we're held accountable to God, right? It's not the approval of men that we need to seek. I mean, it's faithfulness before the Lord. Um, so living the gospel message and charge, Christ-likeness is what it means to be faithful. So we're talking about character, obedience, personal growth and holiness, loving God, loving people, preaching the gospel clearly and correctly. Um, Spurgeon said this, Character is always lost when a high ideal is sacrificed on the altar of conformity and popularity. Character is always lost when a high ideal is sacrificed on the altar of conformity and popularity. And, and I think the, the strength of that is, man, that, 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 happen, that can happen slowly and over time and without us really noticing, right? That's how worldly philosophies infiltrate the church is slowly, is slowly where we begin to think the way the world thinks if we're not renewing our mind to biblical principles. Um, so the expositor's commentary on this passage says, Christian ministry and leadership is without a question a matter of character, One's authentic spirituality and Christian character is everything in church leadership. It is a sober fact that as goes the leadership, so goes the church. With some common sense qualifications, it is an axiom that what we are as leaders in microcosm, the congregation will become in macrocosm as the years go by. It is generally true that if the leadership is word-centered, the church will be word-centered. If the leadership is mission-minded, the church will be mission-minded. If the leadership is sincere, the people will be sincere. If the leadership is kind, the church will be kind. This is also true negatively. If, if the leadership is unloving, narrow, stingy, they will beget an unloving, narrow, stingy church. So what I want to do in the time that we have left is just read some passages from First Timothy, the pastoral epistles. Um, man, I, I'm personally committing to, I, I want to read through the pastoral letters uh, at least once a month, just, just to read through, just to keep my mind renewed to this. I think, man, so often, you know, you read, if you, when you do read the pastoral epistles, you go, oh yeah, the scriptures have told us how to do this. 
The Bible's told us what, what success in ministry looks like, how we're to handle Scripture, how we're to disciple people, what's really important. This is huge because, uh, and this is from Second Timothy. Read this real fast, Second Timothy 2.15. He tells young Timothy, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So approved before God, rightly handling the word of truth, and uh, what I want to point out from that passage is rightly handling the word of truth is very much teaching it correctly, right? Getting the right interpretation, getting the main point from the passage and making that the main point of the sermon, like teaching the Bible correctly. But it's more than that. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. Handling the word of God correctly isn't just in the pulpit or in the youth room, you know, on a Wednesday or Sunday. It's a Tuesday how you're living it out. Right. And that's what becomes clearer in the pastoral epistles is both are emphasized teaching correctly and then living that teaching out in a godly way. Again, emphasizing our character. So I'm going to start in First Timothy, chapter three. I'm going to read the qualifications of an elder or a pastor, a shepherd. Um, and, you know, if you're not that. If you're in, but if you're in ministry and Sunday school capacity, small group capacity, personal discipleship, all of these principles apply except for maybe the able to teach, right? Um, it says this, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Right, that there's no legitimate accusations that can be made against you. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? This is all about character. And one ability, one God-given gift of being able to teach, but man, it's about who we are. It's about our character. It's about how we're living out the gospel. Um, Let's say this uh, real quick about, I think it's worth saying, um, when he talks about our household, right, managing our household, this isn't because he says that. And then he also says to be hospitable, which means like we should live open lives. Right. It doesn't mean you have to have somebody over to your house every night. Right. Uh, but that we have open homes. And, and that is more a picture of yeah, people need to know who you really are. They need to see you husband, your wife and father, your children. You know, they need to see how you interact in the home, who you really are. And I think man, that's good because that, that's discipleship. But then I think tied to managing the household well is, again, okay, biblically having this in place and not socially and not like the picture from uh, of, of church leadership where, man, okay, people are coming over. This is how our house should look. This is how my kids need to act when people are over. This is how my kids need to act when we're in church. This is neat how you need to talk to me in front of people. And it's like, man, time out. Like, all those qualifications need to just be cut off. 
I mean, this is, this is who we are. This is what our home looks like. This is how we act. This is how we treat each other to honor Christ. Period. And if that's not real, that's going to get exposed. If not before your congregation or the youth group, or it's going to get exposed in the lives of your kids because what they're learning is we're fake and we're fake on purpose. It's terrifying, right? Because, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for the ministry here. I, I love my church. I love Snowbird. But I love my kids a whole lot more. And so I need to let them know that. And I need to disciple them in a way that shows that, man, this is real. We're, we're following Jesus. And we're going to follow Jesus as a family. Man, and I'm, I, I want to show them grace. I want to show them mercy. I want to show them what justice looks like. Teach them how to view the world from a biblical foundation and then bring people into that and not create an environment in the 15 minutes before people show up. So Paul wanted the church to have leaders whose lives would grace the church and adorn the gospel before a needy world. As followers of Christ, we cannot settle for anything less. Paul is clearly telling Timothy that his personal growth and holiness is paramount because he is to be an example. He is to lead people towards Christ's likeness. This is God's design for the church, not platforms and programs. Those things can come, right? Like having programs is good. Having numbers is good. Again, I mean, that if those numbers represent eternal souls, yeah, we want them in our churches. We want them baptized and discipled and sent out like absolutely but it needs to follow on the heels of the the sanctification that's happening in our lives right not for the sake of numbers not for the sake of more programs not for the sake of a bigger budget and if all those things follow in line of man christ-like likeness and the pursuit of holiness and righteousness and faithfully handling the word of god then man god's gonna bless that all right um his mornings go fast. First um, Timothy chapter four, verse six. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, rather. Here's what you focus on, Timothy. Rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example. Here we go. In speech, conduct, in love, in faith, and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. So that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It's awesome, man. It's not about personality. It doesn't even, you know, 
the giftedness is handling the word of God correctly. It's not about man, entertainment value, drawing people in. It's about faithfulness to the word of God, faithfulness to the character of God, loving God, loving people, being an example, and that fleshing out in how we speak, how we talk, how we act. Man. So, biblical success, and this is, uh, these are points from Kent Hughes' book that I referenced earlier, and I'm out of time. Um, to be faithful, to be faithful, obedient to God's word, to serve God and others. So if we're going to ask ourselves tough questions about how we're doing a ministry, let them be along these lines. Am I being faithful to God? Am I serving God? Am I serving others? Do I love God? Do I love his people? Do I believe his word, his promises? Am I spending time in prayer for, for our people? Right? Like, I think this is a good one. Because there's no fake in this, right? You, you, can, you can build programs and you can pass, pass you know, responsibility around. And if things aren't going well, you can blame other people. You can blame parents. But like, between you and God, man, do you spend time on your face before God alone on behalf of the people that God has given you to shepherd? Man, this is good. That's hard, right? My pursuing holiness. So I think these are, these are biblical lenses to look through to see, all right, how am I doing in ministry? I think we'll see it. We'll see it. And the, and the good thing is, if we're, not, if we're not meeting those things, man, that's, we're talking about repentance and getting up and following Christ, right? And, and then trusting that as we do that, God, by His Spirit, will empower us to impact other people for the gospel.